We're going to be in Philippians this morning. The book of Philippians, chapter 3. And I'm actually going to read quite a bit, only for context, but we're actually going to focus in on verses 14 through verse 15. The Lord's been dealing with me for about, I guess at least a month now, about really what what Christianity is really all about, what our walk with the Lord is really all about. And this message is really the Lord's message to me. Uh, so this morning, I'm pretty much just going to be preaching to myself. You just get to sit in and listen. Uh, if it applies to you, praise God. But I know it's for me. And those are some of the best ones. Some of the best ones. So Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to start reading in verse 3. So if you're there, say amen. Verse 3 says, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinks that he has whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as Many as be perfect or mature is really what that word means. So let us therefore as many as be mature, be thus minded. And if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. Lord, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy, Lord God. Thank you for the new covenant. Lord, thank you for everything that we have in Christ. Lord, thank you for the benefits of the new covenant that you have provided for us, Lord God. You are a good, good Father. You are great to us, Lord God. 
You've done more than we could ever ask or think or imagine. And you've done it all through your son, Jesus Christ, and what he did at Calvary. We thank you for that, Father God. Lord, we just come to you this morning and we ask that you would have your way in our hearts and in our lives, Father. Lord, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done in each one of our hearts and our lives. Lord, that you would take your rightful place as king upon the throne of our hearts. Lord, that you would truly rule and reign in every aspect of our lives. Lord, reveal Christ to us in a greater way than we've ever seen this morning. Lord, reveal the new covenant to us in a way that we haven't seen before. Lord, give us revelation knowledge this morning. Lord, anoint me with a double portion of the anointing to minister your word. Lord, anoint each one of us to hear your word. Lord, let there be a demonstration of the Holy Spirit in this place, in each heart, in each life, Lord. Nothing can be done unless your Spirit makes it real to each one of our hearts and our lives. Lord, we need the moving and the operation of the Holy Spirit. In our services and in our personal lives, Lord, we need it. Lord, speak to us, teach us, Lord, chastise us, if need be, this morning. Knowing that you do it because you love us and that we belong to you. And we thank you, Lord, that we belong to you. Lord, we just say and ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. So I'm going to do my best to give you a quick, just a quick breakdown of verses 3 through verses 13. And like I said, we're really going to focus in on uh, verse, verses 14 through 15. Uh, 13 might kind of get lumped into that. So uh, right now we're just going to get some context to this to help kind of understand. That is the key in studying scripture and reading scripture is context. If you uh, get the context wrong, you get the passage wrong, you get the interpretation wrong. So let's look at, uh, we're just going to start in verse 3. I'm going to look at verse 3 through verse 4 first. It's not going to be a a breakdown, it's just a really quick uh, overview. So verse 3 says, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinks that he has whereof he might trust in the flesh, I am more. So there is false teachers coming into this church. That's act, they're actually pushing, uh, keeping the law of Moses, circumcision. So this church would have been a Gentile church. It might have had a few Jews in it, but it would have been a Gentile church. So the Judaizers are Jews that would come in after Paul would preach somewhere. He, they would come into that church. And then they would begin to push obedience to the law of Moses. That yes, Christ is right. He is the Messiah. But you also have to have this. And they would push that. Or they would teach or preach and put the focus or the emphasis on something other than faith 
in Christ and what he has done for you. So Paul brings that out, and then he brings out, not quite here, he doesn't bring it out, but he talks about, for we are the circumcision, which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. That it's the circumcision of the heart. That we've been born again, and because we've been born again, we've, we have a circumcised heart. Our heart has been changed. Before we were born again, we had the old heart, the old man. But when you were born again, when you just simply placed your faith in the person of Christ and the work of Christ, that the Holy Spirit came in and changed your heart. That He gave you a new heart, a new nature, the divine nature. So you, we worship God from that nature. That's the idea. Through this, Paul is basically saying that circumcision, the outward act of circumcision, is meaningless. That's why he says, and have no confidence in the flesh. These teachers would have emphasized outward things. They would have emphasized doing this or doing that and you need this and you, you need that and you, you need to do this and you need to do that. And, but faith in Christ is great, but you also have to have this. And it was wrong. And that's what Paul's bringing out. So Paul, to, to emphasize his point, goes to what uh, my buddy Paris, who is a He's a professor now at the Bible college that I went to. He came and he preached, and he called this the religious resume. So they have their religious resume, and then Paul says, if, if we are going to boast in that, if, if that's what it is, if we're going to place faith in that, I'm going to show you how wrong that that is, because my religious resume is better than the one that they claim. So he's going to emphasize the fact that that's wrong. And to show you that it's wrong, I'm going to show you how much better my resume is. And then I'm going to show you what it means. So that's where we get to verses 5 through 6. And he says, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. He was, he was a pure-blood Jew. He wasn't mixed. He wasn't part Jew, part Gentile. He was full-blooded Jew, and he was circumcised on the eighth day, right when the law said it. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin is one of the tribes that didn't part ways when they had the divide. Benjamin stayed true with Judah. And he says... A Hebrew of the Hebrews. He goes all the way back to Abraham. His lineage goes all the way back to Abraham. As touching the law of Pharisee. Paul was in line, possibly in line, to be the next high priest. That's how he was in it, big time. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was held as the next great. Imagine being held as the next great anything, first of all, just anything. But what, what, I, like I said, I'm preaching to myself, so my dad happens to be a pastor. 
Wow, what a lineage. Come from a line of ministers. Well, that earns me something, right? Come from a, a line of ministers. My goodness, even got, might even have a little, a little Jew in our background. Watch out. Religious resume. This is what I come from. This is what I've been a, a part of. I'm a part of, pray, I, I'm, I'm not, but this is an example. Well, I'm, I'm a part of the assemblies of God. Praise the Lord. I was never a Catholic. Okay, cool. Religious resume. Follow me now. Follow me. Don't throw stones at me. Religious resume. Paul's saying, I got the best one. If this was about getting a job, I'd be at the front of the line. Because my resume is far better than anyone else's. That's what Paul's saying here. He's showing that if he was going to boast in the flesh, this is what he would boast in, and his is better. Then he says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. I was so zealous for the things of God that I was willing to kill what were believers, but at that time he, he thought that they were. That he, he thought that he was fighting with God and he was actually fighting against God. But the point that he's bringing out is that I had more zeal than anyone else. No one could say that they loved God more than me. No one could say that they were more dedicated to God than me. Same idea today. Every time the doors are open, Pastor, I'm here. Every prayer meeting, I'm here. Never miss a service. Faithful in my tithe, too. Never miss that. Even give a little extra, Pastor. When it comes to the things of the Lord, I am sold out completely. I'll do anything for God. I love you, God, more than all of these. See, we don't ever actually say that, but it, most of the time it looks more like this. Well, if they just prayed like I prayed. That sister's going through these things because she don't have a prayer life, Pastor. Like mine. You're giving religious resume. And you think that it makes you better. That you're closer to God because of that. That God's more pleased with you because of that. And Paul's going to slam that to the ground. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul's saying, according to, the, I've kept everything of the law that I know of. Boy, they, his resume right there is already better than all of ours. 
that according to the righteousness that you can see in the law, I've kept it. That's what he's saying, I've kept it. And he believed it. Then verse 7, he says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. I will go ahead and read verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. If they want to give you their religious resume, I'll give you mine. And mine is better. But at the end of the day, even though mine is better, I've come to the conclusion that it is meaningless. All of those things are meaningless. They hold no value. They might hold value to man, but to God they hold no value. What Paul is saying is that what he once viewed as great, valuable, and beneficial, he has come to the continual conclusion, not a one-time conclusion, continual conclusion. He said, I die daily. Every day, Paul comes to the conclusion that that is meaningless. It has no value. It's not a one-time deal. It's a daily thing. That it not only holds no value, but it is actually damaging. It's damaging to him if he holds on to those things in order to trust in them. When he places value on those things, when he placed value on things other than Christ, then he found that not only was it no good, but it actually caused him harm. If I place value on my church attendance, it's not, it ultimately holds nothing with God. It holds no weight with God. It does not give me a better position with God. Ultimately, it actually hurts me. Because my faith is actually in what I do. And scripture says that it's impossible to please God without faith. Faith is what pleases him. Faith in what? If you understand scripture correctly, faith in the person and the work of Christ. I'm sorry, but faith in faith in just God. That's not it. Well, just, well, I have faith that there's a God. So, so do the, the demons. So no different. True biblical faith, what you see as faith biblically, is only what God recognizes as faith. Is if it is in the person and the work of Christ. That's it. Anything else God does not recognize as faith.
we don't we don't see we don't see it that way. We don't see that if we by placing our faith in something else that it actually causes us harm. Why? Because it makes us feel good about ourselves most of the time. If I if if I have a good prayer life, right, Pastor, then I feel pretty good. I feel like God's a little bit more pleased with me. And I'll really find out if that's what I really think whenever I fail one day and I don't do so good with my prayer life for a while. And through that time where my prayer life's struggling, then all of a sudden I feel like, well, God loves me less. Or at least God favors me less now. And that ultimately I might not see that, I might not see a move like I did before in my heart and in my life. I'm sorry, but you're operating under law. And you actually think that it's based off of what you do that gets, the, that gets God to move. That means that it's no longer grace because grace is free. You, can't, you cannot earn grace. It's a free gift. If you have to work for it, it's not grace. When he says in verse 8, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. The personal experiential knowledge, not head knowledge, the personal experiential knowledge of the person and work of Christ is now the only thing of value to Paul. Everything else he was willing to give up to gain Christ. Everything. That's what he said. All these things that I once held, you know, put value on, I find that they mean nothing. And I'm willing to give them up to gain Christ. You cannot hold on to both. You cannot have both. You cannot have those things that you consider valuable and Christ. Paul found that out. I can't. The moment I attempt to do that, I find myself in Romans chapter 7. I'm saved, but I'm miserably saved. And I'm failing all the time, 24-7. My constant cycle in life is sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent. And repent. That's my life. And I don't understand what's going on. I love the Lord. I want to live for him. But man, I sure am biting off pieces of stupid left and right. And I'm exhausted and I'm about ready to give up because this is just not even possible. So Paul, through that, had to learn these things got to be let go of. They're actually hurting me. <laughs> they are not helping me in my walk with the Lord. They're hurting me. By placing value on them, they're hurting me. Nothing else had value to Paul except Christ and the work that he performed. Verse 9 through 11, it says, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is, that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death 
if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Paul wants to possess all of the benefits of which Christ died to provide him. Paul wants to personally experience the knowledge of Christ. He wants that personal experiential knowledge of Christ on a daily basis. He wants to know what Christ has done for him through Calvary. He not only wants to know it, he wants to walk in it and experience it every day. Paul desires the reality of the work of Calvary to play out in his life. It's one thing to know what Christ has done for you, and it's another thing to apply it to your life and to walk in it. One of my favorite things about James, faith without works is dead. Oh, yeah, I believe everything Christ did for me at Calvary. Then why is there no evidence of it in your life? There's no evidence. So the faith that you claim is a dead faith. It's only intellectual knowledge. That's not what God's interested in. I learned a lot of thing in, a lot of things in Bible college, but it was not intellectual head knowledge. It was experiential knowledge. It was me and God alone. He boxed me in a corner. There's nowhere to go, Tanner. It's just me and you. It's time for you to learn some things. You can't run. You can't hide. Looking back in that moment, oh, miserable. Now, the greatest point in my life. I'll do it all over again because what I found out is that I began to know him. I didn't know him because I can quote every scripture. I can't. I can't quote a lot of scriptures. But I began to know him personally in my own life. I began to know what he's done for me. Not only did I learn it in the word, but then I began to experience in my heart and in my life. I began to learn that it's not based off of what I do, but it's what I believe. And then... Whenever I accepted that, whenever I actually said, okay, I, I see it in your word, Lord, and I believe it. Then here came the test. Here came the trial that said, okay, you believe it. Now put it into practice. So I blew it. And then here it comes. Okay, do you really believe that it's what you believe and not what you do? That makes me please. Yeah, I said that right. That makes me pleased with you. And I blew it and I'm on my face. I'm bawling. I'm crying to the Lord. And I remember, Lord, I just want to be pleasing to you. I just want to live for you, Lord. I, I want to walk with you. I just want you to be pleased with me. And the whole time I'm dwelling on how I just blew it. And then here's that small voice says, son, get up. I'm pleased with you because of what you believe. Weight, a thousand pounds, gone. And, and then I can get up and praise the Lord. I, I could thank him. Yeah, but you just blew it. Yeah, I sure did. 
Welcome to humanity. We're all going to blow it. Each and every one of us, we're going to blow it. And when you blow it, I promise you, there's going to be people that will write you off and say, that's it, that's just what you are. You'll never be any different, that's just what you are. I said this in our class on Sunday night, it kind of reveals my age, but it is what it is. Once a cheater, always a cheater. But the, once an alcoholic, that's it. Always an alcoholic. Wrong. You're going to blow it, I promise you, you're going to blow it. Not because I got some secret insight into your life. I just know what the Word of God says. And it says how much we need His grace. And how we're fallen. And we live in a fallen world. And we're not perfect. We're not Jesus. He's the only one that lived perfectly. So that tells me right away, I can read your mail, quote unquote, because God already did. We're going to blow it, each one of us. People are going to write you off, but it doesn't matter what people say. What does God say? People say, that's it. Well, you just blew it. You'll never, you'll never be able to preach again, Pastor. You blew it. Can't believe that Pastor did that. Well, he definitely ain't called by God. Man, good thing you weren't around when David was king. Good thing you weren't around when Peter denied Christ. Good thing you weren't around in Paul's day because you would have never... And yet Paul wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else. What does God say? Paul had this desire that he wanted to know Christ. I just want to know him. He was willing to forfeit everything just to know Christ. He just wanted to be found in him. I just want to be found in Christ. I don't want to be found in Tanner. I don't want to be found in my own righteousness. I don't want to be found in a denomination. I don't want to be found in another minister. I want to be found in Christ. I want to know him. I want to know him intimately, personally. I want to know him. I want to call him friend and have him call me friend. I want to know everything about him. I want to know everything about what he's done for me at Calvary. Through what he did at Calvary, I want to know every benefit that he's provided for me. He did it for me. This is the one time it's okay to be all about me. He did it for me, baby. You could be selfish too right now. He did it for you. He did everything for you and for me. Just as much as I needed it, so did you. We're in the same boat. Level playing ground at the foot of Calvary. We're all the same. No matter the religious resume, we're the same. I'm no different than you. Just because I stand here makes me no different than you. 
I got the same battles, the same walk. Just because you can't see them doesn't mean that they aren't there. If you knew all my struggles, you would never listen to me preach. Thank the Lord that sanctification is done behind the curtain, the veil of Christ. All right, verses 12 through verse 13 says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that, which, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before. Paul is saying, I, have, I'm not, I haven't arrived yet. This is my desire. My desire is to know him. My desire is to know him intimately, to know him personally, to know who he is, to know everything that he's done for me, and then not only just to know him, but then to walk in it on a daily basis, to walk as though I've been crucified with Christ, that it's no longer I, but Christ, that I've been buried with Christ and then raised unto newness of life. With Christ, that right now I'm in Christ, seated in heavenly places. That I know it, but not just know it, I want to walk in it. I want to experience it on a daily basis. I want victory over sin on a daily basis to where I don't blow it. To where I don't bite off a big piece of stupid. To where I don't do something that would hurt the testimony of Christ. Ultimately, I want to be like him. But what I found, I'm not there yet. That's what Paul's saying. I'm not there yet. Yes, it's my desire. I'm just not there yet. He's not sinlessly perfect. He doesn't walk in the benefits of Calvary perfectly. He still has some growing to do, which blows me away. Because we read Paul, we, we look at Paul in Scripture like, ooh, Paul's like, man, the, the standard for, new, for Christianity, right? I mean, man, if you could just, if you are living like Paul, you're doing pretty good. And Paul is saying, I'm not there yet. So if Paul's saying, I'm not there yet, hello. I know I'm not there yet. If Paul, if Paul wasn't there, I'm not, I'm not even sniffing it. Because I'm way off of where Paul was. He still has some growing to do, some maturing to do. That's what he's saying. We still got some growing to do. We still have some maturing to do. I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord. You got some growing to do. You got some maturing to do. One of my favorite things that one of my professors, Brother Larson, used to say is, I don't know what I'm going to be when I grow up. Because I got some growing to do. I've got some maturing to do. 
Paul keeps striving. He keeps striving for it, though. He doesn't just throw his hands up and say, well, you know, I'm never going to get there because I'm not Christ. He doesn't, that's not his attitude. He said, no, I'm going for it. That, I'm striving for it. I'm not there yet, but I'm striving for it, even though he knew, eh, I'm not, not going to get there until the trump of God sounds. But I'm striving for that. He just wants to achieve what he was actually saved for. Do you know that that's what we're saved for? We're, we're saved to be conformed into the image of Christ, to be like him. We're not saved for ministry. We're not saved for that. I just preached to myself. God didn't save me for ministry. He didn't save me just to teach and preach. He didn't save me to sing. He really didn't save me to do anything for him. He saved me in order that I might be conformed into his image. That's the whole reason he saved me. That I would be like him. Not to be an evangelist, not to be a pastor, not to be a teacher, not to be a prophet, apostle, whatever it is, not to be a deacon, not to be doing offering every Sunday. He didn't save me for that. He saved me to be conformed into his image. And at the end of it all, I'll be a trophy of his grace. That's what he saved me for. But we don't act like that. In the body of Christ, we put everything else. We put value on things above Christ. Even though we don't want to admit it. He, called, he, he, he saved me, Pastor. He called me in order for ministry. And that ultimately I know that God is pleased with me if I got a pretty good size uh, ministry going on. That if I got a, 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 a big outreach to people, that my influence is big, that it's going to be all great whenever I'm preaching to thousands of people, Pastor. And that'll be so great. And it's all for the Lord. You're putting value on something above Christ. You've been saved to be conformed into his image. He didn't save you so that you could become a lawyer or a doctor or be rich or any of those different things. He saved you to be conformed into his image. I can preach hard while I'm preaching to myself. It's easier. Paul repeats this same thing in verse 13, which means he did it to emphasize it. It's that big of a deal. You got to let go of the things that you're placing value on, either equal to or more than Christ. If, you're, if you have value on something that's equal to or more than Christ, you got to let it go. 
You've got to let it go. A calling, a position, a place, a bank account number. You've got to let it go if it's above Christ. If your main focus is not to know him, be conformed into his image, you have an idol. I can just be real with you. You have an idol that you have placed value of, if not more than, at least equal to what you consider Christ. You got an idol. You can either let go of the idol and gain Christ, or if you choose to cling to the idol, you will lose Christ. You cannot have both. Verse 14, Paul says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's his goal, is to be conformed into the image of Christ. This is what verse 14 is talking about. It's not the rapture. It said, I press toward the mark. This actually means to to pursue the hitting of a bullseye on a target. Paul likens his Christian life to pressing onward to the goal so as to win the prize. His goal was, to com- was the complete knowledge of Christ, both in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. When Christ's likeness was reached, then the prize would be fully his. See the difference? Paul's sole ambition in life was to be like Christ. It was not to be the minister that he was. It was not to write all the things that he did as far as the New, as the, the New Testament. It was, that was never his goal. His goal was to just simply be like Christ. All those things just, that was the Lord's plan. And Paul had no idea. You think Paul knew when he wrote Philippians that it would be what it is today? No. He just wanted to be like Christ. Everything he did was because he just wanted to be like Christ. That was the driving force for anything and everything. That's all he cared about. Just want to be like Christ. Paul once laboriously sought self-justification by good works and by his zeal. Now this same driving energy, instead of working for his own salvation, sanctification, righteousness, etc., is devoted to being Christ-like. Paul changes his efforts from from trying to be approved by God to trying to know him. I want you to hear that. Paul changed his focus, his emphasis from trying to be approved by God to trying to know him. He started seeking his face, pastor, and not his hand. He started seeking the face of God and not the hand of God. Then it says in verse 14, for the prize of the high calling of God, This is Christ's likeness and knowing him. It's not the rapture. Verse, let's go to verse 15. 15 says, let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. I told you perfect means mature. And if anything, and if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. It's great when there's an altar call right in the passage of Scripture. The word perfect means mature. It speaks of spiritual maturity. 
Paul is also bringing a little bit of sarcasm into play for those who believe that they were mature and self-satisfied and complacent by claiming some type of spiritual elitism or higher spirituality. Paul is saying, if you are as spiritually mature as you profess to be, you will be as eager for growth in grace as I am. Paul saying, if you are as mature as you claim to be, maybe you haven't said it to anybody else, but in your own mind, if you are as mature as you think you are, as you claim to be, then you should be pressing towards the mark of being conformed into the image of Christ and nothing else. But if you're pressing towards something else, you are immature in the faith. That's what he's saying. You're not as mature as you think you are. If there was going to be a title of this message, it would be True Spiritual Maturity. The Lord wants to show us this morning, I believe this morning. Let's find out how spiritually mature you really are. What is your goal in life? What are you pressing towards? Don't feel bad if you don't uh, line up with this, because like I said, I'm preaching to myself. So I'll be right there at the altar with you. And I'm not kidding. <laughs> That's definitely not something just say just because so, so that way you'll feel comfortable. No, I'll be right there because I'm guilty. Other things, I've placed value on other things. And I'm not as mature as I think I am. Those who are truly spiritually mature will have a greater appetite to be more like Christ. They will actually desire more of Christ and strive after Him. And the more that they get of Him, the more they want. They're constantly hungering and thirsting for more. Paul lived to be conformed into the image of Christ. What are you living for? says, if any, and if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Means that not all were of the same mind. Some were actually otherwise minded and lacking maturity. Some had believed that they had reached a certain level of maturity. This is a side note, but. Just because you operate in the gifts of the Spirit does not mean maturity. If that was the case, then uh, Paul wrote a lot of stuff to the Corinthian church for no reason. Because they operated in the gifts a whole lot. We are never as mature as we think we are. We're just flat out not always right. You're going to be wrong sometimes. That's okay. Yeah, probably a lot. You're right. You're going to be wrong. If your heart is honest, earnest, and sincere, then the Lord will, will reveal the truth to you. If you truly desire to know the truth, then the Holy Spirit will ultimately reveal the truth to you. If you don't want to know, it won't be revealed to you. If what, if what we see Paul lay out here, if that's not, if that's not your mindset, if, if maybe you're, you're 
goal, your aim in life has been a little off or way off. Either way, if you can't say, I'm just like Paul, that my goal is just to be conformed into the image of Christ and nothing else, that I don't even care about anything else except gaining Christ and everything that has to do with him, who he is and what he's done. If you cannot say that, then the part that it talks about in the end is for you. That if you are otherwise minded, if you are not of the same mind as Paul Paul is and you really want to know, then the Lord will chastise you. He's going to let you know. While studying this scripture, he let me know. That that's not you, Tanner. That's not you. Some other things have been placed either above knowing him and being like him or what you consider to be just as valuable. It's time to repent. It's time to lay the idol down and just know me. Just know, I just want to know him. I just want to know him. I just want to be conformed into his image. This morning, if the Lord has dealt with you through this passage of scripture, I, there's nothing I can do to help you because I'm in the same boat. I can pray for you, but you can pray for me because we're in the same boat. Ultimately, we gotta, we got to take it to the Lord. This morning, if this applies to you, come down to the altar. Spend time with the Lord. That's who it's with, just you and God.